0: There's a story of Dr. George Sweeting. He tells about the a, a tragedy of addiction. He said one day he watched several blocks of ice floating down the river at Niagara Falls. Curiously, several birds floated above the water looking for fish. There was one seagull who spotted a frozen fish in a block of ice. And so he stood on the block of ice trying to get at the fish that was in the block of ice, and he pecked at it and pecked at it and hadn't realized at the time he was sitting on the block of ice pecking at the ice to get the fish that his feet had frozen to the ice cube. And he plummeted over the falls and of course died. And he used this as an example. How many Christians have had their own things that they sought after? Things they desired. Things they thought were dear. And they eventually got melded to them And have brought them down. Well we surely hope that's not the case for any of you here. But we know that it is the case of many times that Christians can find themselves. Even if it's not addictions. Having tendencies to like certain things. Or go in certain directions. And that those tendencies can sometimes bring you in a wrong pattern. A wrong place. And we have to be careful about it. This morning. I usually get up a little earlier on Sundays than usual. Anyway, but this morning, woken up a little bit earlier. And just as I woke up, God gave me something for us for for this morning. And so I just worked on that for, for today. I don't always tell you about that because it happens very often. But I won't always tell you about it. But there's, it's important for me to tell you today. There are some things that we need to get into today. And we're going to go back over and re- review some things that we already have gotten into. But it's important that we understand understand the perspective that the Father would have for us today. In the past... A couple of weeks, we looked at before the, the Peter and his denial and Israel's unsuccessful attack and how they spoke to situations, but they didn't change. And we took those two stories and we looked at the common components of each of those and we saw that they had hard hearts that both resisted words that were spoken to them. Peter, when Jesus said, Peter, you're, you're, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster even crows. No, no, not me. Mm -mm. That's a hard heart. There was resistance to the truth of the word. There was denial of facts, faults, and weaknesses in themselves. And there was doubting of God's power and promises. Oh, I hope you get this down because it's real important that you understand this. That first off, the common components are hard hearts, resistance to the truth of the word, denial of facts, faults, and weaknesses in themselves, and doubting of God's power and promises. I've printed this out at least twice in your outlines before. Had it in your outline for today. There's just no room. So I had to take it back out. Had to actually take a number of things out. So there'll be a number of things I'll be saying to you that aren't in there. And if it means anything to you, you can write them down. But I put this there. Do you, Do I have a tendency to doubt the things of God or the things of the world? Do I have a tendency to doubt the things of God? Or the things of the world? Do I have a tendency? You'll notice that a lot of times we, we know people and we talk about certain folks. We say, oh, they have a tendency to go this way. And that's just a, a part of their character. We just know that's, that's how they are. That's how they do. They have a tendency to see things this way. They have a tendency to say this or to speak this or to, to go this way. Or they have a tendency to enjoy these kind of things. There's There's tendencies. There's things that we tend to. And in, when given a situation, we know which way we'll go. Now, we've had a lot of fun here on Sunday mornings and other times. You know, and you know my tendencies, that if we are to go to a buffet, you can instantly say, I know what Pastor Steve's tendencies are. And you'll be probably right, right? You, can, you, you, you watch go, and, and you'll, you'll know what we'll do. Well, there's tendencies that we have. And we have to be careful that those tendencies aren't taking us down in the wrong direction. We have to be careful that we are not one who has a tendency to doubt the things of God. Rather be one who has a tendency to doubt the things of the world. And so as we were contemplating this, when I woke up this morning, there was a a pattern that was shown. And so I wrote some of the things down, came down and wrote some of the things down, said, all right, well, you know, delve into that and pray about it some more and. And then just went on back up and got ready to come on down here and, and did that. And I went through. And I just, I just pulled out a number of examples. There's more than this. Plenty more than this. But I just pulled out this. And I asked the question, who has or who is hard-hearted? Who is hard-hearted? And so we're going to show you a couple of examples of people. And I want you to be able to pick out who is hard-hearted. It's kind of like one of those Sesame Street things they would do. You know, sometimes they would pop up that thing. Which of these things doesn't belong? And you would have to see, you know, what are the tendencies of three of the things. Because the four, it's always four. The fourth one didn't go there. They would always have things that would have tendencies. The, the count would always have a tendency to count. And no matter what situation he was in, he was always enamored with counting. Well, we want to take a look at these These uh, places in the word of God, the word of God, the the spirit of God has seen to put in here for us so we can understand some of the tendencies that were there in Genesis chapter three, verse one through 13. Now, we're not going to read all these scriptures. I gave you some of the references. There are some places I did not. You know, the stories well enough. I didn't put them in there and they're kind of scattered all over the the word anyway. But here in Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her a husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God said to Adam and said, or called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well as we look at this story we see that they were open to corrupt teaching. This is one of the things that was uh, was there. They were open to corrupt teaching. Now there's a fine line between being open to corrupt teaching and being closed altogether. You don't want to just say no to everything new that comes up about everything that's that's uh, unknown to you. you. We can't do that. But there's a fine line that's between there. And that fine line is governed by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will let you know this is good. This is this is good stuff. And this is not. This is not good. When you were small, in an infant, did you know the difference between good food, bad food, and non-food? (laughs) No. I mean, whatever we found, where did it go? In the mouth. In the mouth. We won right in the mouth. But as we got older, did we not begin to discern the difference between, well, that doesn't look like food. And then we also began to discern the difference between good food and bad food. Well, that might be food, but that's not the kind of food I like. And of course, then the battle would would uh, rise up between mom and the kids. You will eat that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yes, you will. And the battle of wills would begin to, to come up. But at, at first, we just took everything. Well, the Spirit of God helps us on the inside to know, no, that's that's not right. And helps us to discern both good and, and bad. No, that's wrong. That's wrong food right there. Don't take that. He's the giver of truth. He's the revealer of truth. And he will reveal truth to us so that we can know, oh, that's good truth. That's, that's stuff I should take in right there. Or this is not. But these folks were open to corrupt teaching and when they heard it, things didn't go off on the inside of them to say that's wrong that's That's not right. They disbelieved the things that God said, and't that what happened? God said, "Don't eat it. What did they have to do in order to take of it and eat it?" They had to become disbelievers of the things that God spoke. They had to become disbelievers of the things of God and believers in other things. Which means they doubted God. They didn't doubt what came from the world. But they doubted God. And they fell into sin. Here's another story with Joseph and his brothers. Now we're just going to run through this one. But Joseph. He listened to God. He let God order his behavior. His character was godly. Whatever you put in Joseph's hands. was pro- It prospered. It was blessed. His father saw it. He saw the character which he held himself at, which was far above the character of his his brothers. He let God speak into him and wherever he was. And no matter what situation he was in, sold into slavery, put into prison, he always maintained that character. Constantly let God speak to him. He let God speak to him when he worked. He let God speak to him when he was awake. And he let God speak to him when he was asleep. And God would speak to his dreams and would say things but his brothers, not so much. They didn't go that way. They didn't let God speak to them in the way that they worked. They were very much based on their emotions, based on what they felt, uh, what was fair, what was unfair. And we see that Joseph, that he, when, when God spoke things to him, he believed them. His brothers, not so much. They didn't necessarily do that. They thought they could deceive their father. They thought they could lie and Concoct this plot against their brother, and get away with it. Moses and Pharaoh. Moses began to hear the voice of God. You know, when he was he was out there amongst he was he was still the looked like he was a son of Pharaoh, but he began to hear some things from God, and he began to think I'm I'm supposed to deliver my people. He began to ask questions and find out these were his people, and he rose up to deliver them, and that didn't go out that didn't work out so well. So he got upset and instead of listening to God from that point, he shut God out, didn't listen to God anymore. And then after a number of years, 40 years, God appeared to him in the burning bush and kind of pulled him out of that. And then we see that Moses, though he was had tendencies before to listen to God. When the burning bush was there and God was speaking to him out of the burning bush was his tendency to believe the things of God. No, whatever God was saying, he's, no, no, I'm not the guy. No, I'm not a deliverer. No, I can't talk and I can't do this and no, you just need to get somebody else. And finally, God gets upset with him and says, you will go. (laughs) All right, sir. And so he finally goes off. But we see that Moses had gone from a place where he was growing to to a place of listening to God and then all of a sudden shut him off and had done it for so long that now he had a tendency that when God spoke, he doubted it. When God spoke, from a burning bush that was not being consumed and speaks to you out of the burning bush. Take off your sandals for the ground which you stand is holy. And then before you, demonstrates, take that staff that's in your hand, throw it down. Take your hand. Put it in your bosom. Showed him signs and wonders. Oh, wow, look at that. And he still Because of these tendencies, because he had gone this way, because he had moved in this direction, he shut God off. And then God got him around. We all know the story, how how God had done that. And then he went off and and began to talk to Pharaoh. And as he talked with Pharaoh, we see that Pharaoh was very resistant to the things of God, wasn't he? Now, Moses wasn't completely yielding, but he was a lot more so than he was at the burning bush. But we're going to see some of the tendencies, if you, if you think back, some of the tendencies with Moses, when Moses, when it didn't work, oh, he was upset. And he blamed God. Why have you brought this on these people? Why have you put me in the middle of all this sort of stuff? This, is, this isn't good. I, I told you, just leave me alone. I told you, just, I wasn't good for this thing, but no, you got to send me. But then after that, we never see Moses resistant to the things of God ever again. But Pharaoh remained resistant. And so here we have the two. Of the two, Pharaoh and Moses, which one had the enduring hard heart? Pharaoh. Of Joseph and his brothers, which one was the hard-hearted group? Brothers. Adam and Eve, which one was the hard-hearted one? Both. <laughs> they made that, both. that was a trick question. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were both... Guilty of that, right? Adam certainly was more guilty than Eve was, but they were both have, had hard hearts to the things of God there. Moses and Israel. Well, Israel reacts with anger, fear, and distrust toward God and Moses. Constant, every time they run into a problem, when the Egyptian army surrounds them from behind, they react in anger, fear, and distrust. You brought us here to kill us. Why'd you do that? We're, we're mad at you. We're, we're, in fear, and Moses, he's calm. He says, yeah, "Just stand back, watch God deliver you." They run out of water. What do they do? They get angry, distrust God, And fear. When they when they face battles, they get angry, fear, and distrust God again. And all the while, Moses is there. He's gotten over all of his stuff, and now he's he's believing God. No, no, just why do you keep testing God? Don't you know that God's come through for you before? He's going to keep on coming through for you again. So Israel reacts with anger, fear, and distrust toward God and Moses. Moses intercedes, serves, and leads. All the while that Israel keeps reacting in anger, fear, and distrust. All the while that they're doing that. Moses continues to intercede for them, doesn't he? When they get themselves into into a pickle... He intercedes. He's the one who continually serves them. He would get up night all all day long. Get up early in the morning and spend all day to judge them because he had such a passion that their problems would get solved and they would get solved right that he would sit there and do it all day long until Jethro came on down and said, you're going to wear yourself out doing this. You need to find some other people. Take care of some of the small matters. You take care of the big ones. But he was serving the people. Every time the people had need, Moses was out there before God. Moses served the people. How hard is it for you if you had to intercede and serve people who kept being anger, angry, fearful, and distrustful? But Moses, he intercede. he serves, and he leads. No matter what they do, he continued to lead them. No matter how many times they revolted and said, "We don't want you as a leader," he led them, because God said to do it. No matter how many times they mistreated him, he still served them. He still interceded for them. He never got on the side and says, you know what, God, I'm with you. Let's wipe these guys out. I mean, that's, we're just done with that. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul and Jonathan. Now now Moses and Israel, that wasn't hard to figure that one out. Which one was the hard-hearted one? (laughs) Verse 19, 1 through 6. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in the secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Just John- Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Well, verse verse twenty, verse, uh, or chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramoth and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Because between those times, Saul had taken the spear and thrown it at him. So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. He told me before he was going to do it. Why would he hide it from me this time? Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan, he, I don't know anything about this. If, if, if this was actually going on, my dad would have told me. I would have heard about it. But it's not going on. David basically says, Look, they're keeping you out of the loop because last time you interfered. And so Saul says, no, we can't tell Jonathan because he's going to get upset and he's going to, you know, stand in there. And we don't want that. Uh, Keep Jonathan out of it. Once David is dead, whatever Jonathan feels, he'll get over. Verse 27. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. This is a great feast. Great uh, thing was going on. First day, David's place was empty. And Saul didn't say anything about it. We're on the second day. Why has the son of Jesse... Or, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he was, has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I wonder if mom was around. I don't think she would have taken that out too well. But do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jonathan, I'm grieved because my father tried to kill me. But he says he was grieved for David because his father had treated him, David, shamefully. Well, you look at this and... and, Saul is fearful of David. We're going to read this in another verse of Scripture. Saul is fearful of David, and he's trying to eliminate this. But Saul has become a doubter because of these two, which one is the hard-hearted one? Saul yeah, Saul is. That's not hard to figure out, is it? Saul's the hard-hearted one. And the Lord had said through the prophet Samuel to Saul, I was going to make your house an enduring house. But because of this, I have taken the kingdom from you and given it to another. And so Saul said, oh, no, 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 that can't happen. I need to to make this thing go on. I need to make my house an enduring house. If God won't make my house an enduring house, I will make it. And so Saul looked around. And after a while, he saw that the anointing was on David. We'll read that just in a little bit here. And so he said, no, we've got to eliminate David. If I eliminate David, then God doesn't have someone else to give the kingdom to. And then I get to keep it and then it'll go on to Jonathan. So his effort here is to preserve Jonathan to be able to get the throne, but then he throws the spirit at him to kill him. You see, hard-hearted people don't make sense. You're trying to be rational to hard-hearted people. It, it don't help. They're not rational. And, and certainly Saul is, is that way. Jonathan is open to David taking over the throne, but Saul feared it. Jonathan doesn't care. Hey, if that's what the Lord wants... I'm I'm on the same page. I'm with it. Let's go. If that's what the Lord wants, I'm I'm right there. Let's go. What's God want? Saul? No, I don't care what God wants. This is what I want. That's a hard-hearted person. A hard-hearted person doesn't care what God wants. They want what they want. That's all that matters to them. Looking at Saul and David a little more closely in uh, chapter 18, verse 8, 1 Samuel 18, verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said. They've ascribed to David 10,000 and to me they have ascribed only thousands. After the song was, was written and sung, David has slain his thousands and Saul his, or David, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdoms? Now he begins, begins to put it together. Aha. This is the guy. This one. I see, I see the hand of the Lord on him and, and this is the guy. No one's told him that, but he's kind of figuring this thing out. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside, inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Two times David went into that. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul recognized the Spirit of God has departed from me, but he's on this one over here. If you recognize that the Spirit of God is on David, but the Spirit of God has left you, do you try and kill David? The Spirit of God has left Saul. He recognizes that. The Spirit of God is now upon David. He recognizes that. He sees the anointing, the kingly anointing on him. He had it, he recognizes it in David. And so he rises up and doubts the things of God and believes the things of the world to the point that he is even willing to kill the one that God has set up. This is a man who has said, I am more powerful than God. Hard hearted people can get to the place where they believe they are greater than God. They're not necessarily thinking along those terms. But if you put this out, Saul, do you realize that you think you're greater than God? No, I'm not. Really? Maybe I'm thinking that way. (laughs) But that's really what he's doing. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people. You know why he made him a captain over a thousand? He thought if he's out in battle, he has a chance of dying. And David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely. He was afraid of him. Even more he's afraid of him. No matter where he puts him, Saul operates wisely and does well. And so no matter what, Saul puts him in a place hoping that maybe he'll die in battle. But he doesn't. He just gets stronger and stronger. And so Saul becomes afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. All Israel loved David. Well, what's that going to do to Saul? Going to make him more fearful? Going to make him more upset? So David loved and served Saul, but Saul feared David's success. He was afraid. Here's another one. Jesus and Judas. In John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served him, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial." For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So we see that Judas was one who stole from the money box of the Son of God. Can you believe that? Stole from the money box of the Son of God. What are you thinking? I mean, can you possibly do that without becoming a doubter of the things of God? He was a doubter of the things of God. Now, all the while that this was going on, was not Jesus ministering to all the disciples? Jesus prayed for them. Jesus mentored them. And He served all the disciples, all of them, all 12 of them, and all the other ones that were around them beside that. But He prayed for them. He mentored them. And He served all the disciples, including Judas. But Judas began to, once he got hold of the money box, the money began to speak to him and call to him. And instead of going out to the poor, he began to think, well, I'm one of the poor. I mean, I don't get paid. So instead of just going out and taking care of the other poor, I'm going to go out and take care of me too. Because I'm a poor. Somehow he convinced himself of that. In verse uh, 1 of Luke, the 22nd chapter. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money, so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So this is what Satan did. He got Judas in charge of the money box and he kept having the money box call to him, call to him so that he had a tendency to answer the voice of money. And then after he answered this call and stole from the money box and did things like like that, he began to think in his mind, you know, these people want Jesus and I want money. Maybe I can go over there and we can make a deal. So they said, yeah, we'll give you money if you give us Jesus. See, there's an inroad in there. The devil had built an inroad and made a tendency. You see, Saul had certain tendencies. Judas had certain tendencies. Israel came up with certain tendencies. You knew that in any given situation, if there was trouble, if there was a problem, they were going to doubt God. So while Jesus prayed for, mentored, and served all the disciples, Jesus stole, Judas stole and undermined and betrayed Jesus. But that didn't affect him. He still went on and continued to pray for them, continue to mentor them, and continue to serve them. Well, let's take a look at what are their tendencies. If I understand the tendencies of those who went the wrong way, I can recognize them in myself. What we have to understand is we only pulled out seven stories. You can go home yourself and you can pull out some more stories in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and you can look them up and see if these same tendencies are not there. We just pulled out seven. But we're going to, we got to realize if they all have similar tendencies and they all became doubters of the things of God, then if I have those same tendencies, what is to stop me from becoming a doubter of the thing of God? Now, if you want to go on from this, go out there and compare some people who did not doubt the things of God and see if you can find these same tendencies in them it is important that we understand what these tendencies are. If they are in us, if people who doubt the things of God... We looked at seven so far. If people who doubt the things of God all have the same tendencies and all became doubters of the things of God, all had a call of God, all started off pretty good. If they all ended up in the same place then those tendencies must play a role, right? If those tendencies play a role and they're in my life, where are they taking me? First off, the first tendency is they became, or they tended to be critical of others. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, is it not the tendency that they had—that they became critical of God. Well, why would God keep this from us? Why would God tell us not to have this fruit if it's going to make us know good and evil and become like God? Is—is it—is it possible to go in that direction without becoming critical of God? You have to become critical. No, I don't think God had our best interest here. I think God. No, I think God had a. You know, there's a shortcoming did Israel become critical of God? Oh, all the time. How many times were they critical of God? When Moses was hard-hearted, did he not have the tendency to be critical of God? Did Did not Moses become critical of God's plan at the burning bush? When Pharaoh rejected the first miracle, wasn't it Moses who was critical of God's plan? Now, eventually, he got out of that. But it is interesting to note that when he got out of being critical of God's plan, he also got out of being hard-hearted. Isn't that interesting? In fact, I will challenge you to find one single person who was known in the Word of God for not being hard-hearted and find them to be critical. I'll just give you that challenge right now. Go out there and find it. Now, Moses eventually became a very non-critical person, didn't he? But he also... Became very non-hard hearted. Very soft hearted. When the disciples were disciples. And they tended to have. They, were, they had tendencies of being critical. Were they not also hard hearted? Didn't Jesus exhort them a few times. For their hard heartedness. When the, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Would interact with Jesus. Was it not always on a critical level? And what did Jesus exhort them about? Being hard hearted. Did not Jesus exhort the Pharisees and Sadducees about being people? They were hard hearted. They were they were not hearing the truth. Can you see that there is a direct correlation between how critical you are and how hard hearted you are? Go through the entire word of God. I'll tell you what, Set on down when you get home today, Set on down and you just start from the beginning. And if in your mind or just read through and you find a story in which a person who is critical of God was not also hard hearted. I'm not saying they didn't do anything for God. Thank God he can do stuff with us even when we're hard hearted. But he can do a whole lot more when we get rid of that. Because when we get rid of the hard heartedness, when we get rid of the criticalness of God, it opens us up. We are no longer having tendencies to doubt God. So first off, we only did the first one. We got more. That is the first tendency is that they tended to be critical of God. Was Saul critical of God? Saul criticized God's plan all, all the time. If, if you look at when he, when it was finally declared, this is it, we're taking the kingdom out. What's he say to, to Samuel? Well, you know, you had a plan and it just wasn't a good one because, you know, you were late and, you know, Philistines were doing this and the people were. Do- He's critical of the plan. It was you had a plan, but it's not a good one. It's picking it apart. That's one. Do you want to go on? <laughs> Should go on to number two or you, you had enough. <laughs> number two, they judged their motives without talking to them. People who are hard-hearted judge the motives of others without talking to them. You see, you can judge a person's actions. You're authorized by Scripture to judge a person's actions. But if you judge a person's actions to be wrong, you are supposed to then go to the person and correct them on their actions. But hard-hearted people look at the action and judge the motive. They look at the action and they judge the motive. All right, let's go back to our seven stories. The first one, Adam and Eve are in the garden. An accusation is made against God. They hear the action. What's the action that God has done? Blocked them from the tree and kept them from knowing both Good and evil. And so what do they do? Do they go to God and say, God, why did you block us from knowing good and evil? What do they do? They judge the motive. The seed is sown. God doesn't want you to become like him. Because he knows in the day that you eat of it, he knows this. In the day that you eat of it. You will become as God, knowing both good and evil. And he doesn't want that. You believe that we thought all the while that God had our best interest in mind. He's trying to keep something from us. What they do. They didn't just judge the action, folks. They judged the motive. And that, that what they did. Israel, when Israel ran out of water, when they ran out of food, when the army of Egypt was behind them. When the miracles weren't working and they got extra work. What did they do? Did they judge the action? No, they looked at the action and they judged the motives. How many times did they say to to Moses on the field? How many times did they say this? You have brought us here to kill us. Is that an action? That is a motive. That is a motive. People who are hard hearted judge the motive. They look at the action, but they judge the motive. These are what hard-hearted people do. You go through the Word of God. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to go on home all week long and study this thing out. Go through it. How many people judged the action and dealt with the people? Did they have hard hearts? How many people saw the action and judged the motive? Did they have hard hearts? When Judas is before the group and the... The costly perfume is broken. He sees the action. And what does he do? Why was this not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? What's the motive here? What motivation could you possibly have for having this action? Can you see that's going on? When Moses is confronting God and he's arguing with him at the burning bush, he is judgment. He 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 does not care about the action. I would, what's your motive here? Why do you want me to go out there? They they want to kill me. You want to get me done, get me dead. Is that what you want? You know those people out there. They want to. It didn't work out so well. People who have hard hearts, who are doubters of the things of God, tend to be critical of others, and tend to judge their motives without talking to them. A characteristic of a soft-hearted person is the instant. You hear of an action. Your desire is to go and talk to them. Because your desire is God's desire. I want to have restoration. How can we get this thing fixed? What can we do? <laughs> they tended to be critical of others. They tend to judge their motives without talking to them. When Saul observed the song that was written about David, what did he do? Well, they prescribed to him 10,000 and me only a 1,000. What more is that he can have but the kingdom? He's judged his motive, right? David is after my kingdom. He's after it. He he doesn't go and ask David, David, are you after the kingdom? He He decides without talking to him that he's after the kingdom. He decides without talking to him that David needs to die eventually blocks out his own son. And even when his son rises up and and tries to speak some sense to him, he tries to kill his son They judge their motives. Should we go on? I still got three more. (laughs) Do we want to know these things? All right. Well, they tended to be uh, critical of others, judged their motives without talking to them. Here's the third. You'll see this one just as easily. Blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. When God, that's why I read the whole section in Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to verse 13 because I wanted you to see when God approached Adam, what have you done? Well, the woman. All right, women, what did you do? Well, the serpent. <laughs> what did they do? Blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. When Israel ran into a problem, who did they blame? Moses, sometimes Aaron, and God. It was never their fault. There's not one single time that any of them ever said, You know what? (laughs) We deserve this, man. We were we're just bad. They don't do that. No, 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 you guys brought us out here to kill us, we judge the motives, and it's your fault. We were we were fine in Egypt. We were eating onions and leeks and all the garlic we wanted. It's good. Life was good. <laughs> Why'd you have to come along and do this? right? We blame others for our own problems, dilemmas and shortcomings. When they didn't go up into the land of, and, and take the land, and because of the spies came back, they blame God, Moses and Aaron. It's always somebody else's fault. When Saul sees the kingdom slipping, does he, does he step back and say, "You know, I missed it." Maybe if I repent, God will have compassion on me. Did he do that? What's he do? It's David. If it wasn't for David, I wouldn't be having this trouble. It's his fault. If I kill David, Jonathan, the kingdom would be yours. Now get out of my way. Stop getting in my way because I need to kill David. We blame others for our own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. Why does Judas betray Jesus. Does he not blame Jesus for problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings? Why else would you betray him? Why else would you turn him over? Blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. I mean, look at it the other way. We have, D- we have David and Jonathan. When John- Jonathan is the one the kingdom's supposed to come to, does Jonathan blame anybody? does Jonathan ever judge David's motives? Jonathan doesn't even try and judge his dad's motives. Every time he hears something about his dad, what's Jonathan do? Dad, what's going on? What's that? What's happening? Are you trying to kill David? Dad, don't do that. Look, look how good David's been. You were even happy when this happened. Don't do that. All right, yeah, you're right, son. I won't do that. I won't do that. Jonathan confronted his father. Whenever the problem came up, he talked to David. What's going on, David? Hey, I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> when David saw that Saul was, that, that, uh, was going to kill him, he doesn't hide from Jonathan. He goes to Jonathan and so your dad wants to kill me. What's up? And when Jonathan says, I, if this would be going on, I would know about it. Does David get into the place where he says, you're lying to me? I know, you're lying to me because you're on your dad's side now, aren't you? Does he get into that, into that area? He doesn't do it because he's not that hard hearted of a person. He's not fall into that line. He's not he's not a doubter of the things of God. But if but Saul is. They're the critical of others. Judge their motives without talking to them. Understand, folks, the Bible does not say we cannot judge people's motives. The Bible just says I can't judge your motives until I talk to you. If I talk to you. And you tell me, why'd you do that? Because I hate them? Well, I can judge your motive now. <laughs> I, I can judge that. Don't ever go around saying, you can't judge motives. Yes, I can if you tell me what they are. <laughs> That's, then you can do it. But without talking to you, I can't judge your motives. Because I don't know. That's why God says, you know, you got a problem? Go ahead and talk to them. Do it. They blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. They justify, number four, they justify their own actions to those not involved. This is a big characteristic here, folks. People that are doubters have tendencies to doubt God. Justify their own actions to those who are not involved. They will do this on a continual basis. The children of Israel... Not one of them comes up to Moses and says, well, let me just tell you why I'm thinking this. But they go to each other. Don't you think Moses is kind of high on the hog? I mean, really, who died and made him king? You know, I mean, this this guy and Aaron, who does he think he is being the high priest, being the guy who all the time, kibitzing and talking to each other. And then, you know, Moses, things are going fine. Things are going good. And all of a sudden he comes out of his tent and wow, a million people ready to kill him. How does that happen? Does everybody wake up one day and they say, you know what? I don't like Moses. Honey, you want to go with me? I want to go to the tent and kill Moses. No, they they were all talking. You know, they, they come out and gather firewood, gather manna. They're picking up manna. What do you think of what Moses is doing? Ah, I'm really getting tired of this guy. They're convincing to each other. They're talking to people that don't need to be involved. Get them on their side. What does Saul do? The first time Saul brings everybody in, including Jonathan, we gotta get David, we gotta kill David, we gotta get David out. And then, uh, Jonathan pulls him aside on that and says, you know what? Dad, we really shouldn't be doing this. And he, he repents, he repents of that, but then he does it again, and who does he get? Other people. Not of other people that are sensitive to, to this thing. When David grew a hard heart to the things of God, and with the, the whole thing with Bathsheba, who does, he, who does he do? He pulls other people in. Pulls them on to his side. We need, uh, we need this guy dead. Pulls people that are not involved. Justifies their own actions to those not involved. Can you see Judas? We don't have this written in the Scripture, but can you see Judas over there with the Pharisees? Look, I don't know why you guys are mad with him, but this is what he did to me. I don't know that that happened or not, but you can sort of see that it might have. But people they become critical of others, they judge the motives without talking to them, they blame others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings, and then they justify their own actions to those not involved. When the now get again, again the word of God says if you have something against your brother, you go to everybody else to make sure you're right. And if everybody else in the whole church says that you're right. If everybody else in the community says you're right, then you go to your brother. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says go to the brother first, one-on-one. If that doesn't work, then go take two or three. Two or three others. And you'll talk to them for the purpose of getting them involved. I I need you to go. We need to go over here and talk to brother so-and-so. Can you come? Uh, this is my side. I want. You, I, this is This is how I'm coming at it. But, you know, they may be coming at it differently. If I'm wrong, I want you to tell me. If they're wrong, I want you to tell them. Would you come along? Okay, yeah, we'll come along. All right, good. See, that's the right way to do it. And then if the two or three come along and they hear the whole thing, hear both sides, oh, no, you, you're, you're wrong. You you need not to be doing this. I'm not listening to you guys. I don't have to listen to you guys. Then you bring them before the church. That's the procedure that God gives us. But justifying our own actions to so those that are not involved, folks, this is not work. It causes hard feelings to come up. And it makes me more hard-hearted. And it makes me... Go to the place of doubting God. I will have a tendency to doubt God. If I allow these things into my life, become critical of others, judge their motives, blame others for their own problems, for my own problems, dilemmas and shortcomings, and justify my own actions to those not involved. If I begin to follow that pattern, I am walking in a way where I will have the tendency to doubt the things of God. Can you see that where that would be a problem? When I, when I face a situation, when I face a dilemma, when I face something that has to get changed, I go and I try and be in faith, but what happens? I have a tendency to doubt God. But you see, we're looking at these things. I'm just, you know, I just sometimes get critical. Now, sometimes, you know, I judge motives, but I don't mean anything by it. Oh, yeah, sometimes I blame other people. Well, sometimes I justify my own actions, but I don't mean anything by it. I mean, it's, it's just it's one of those things I deal with. I'll get over it. No. If, if these are characteristics of every person in the Word who became a doubter of God, then wouldn't you say that these characteristics have something to do with it? Is it possible that if the same characteristics are part of every single person Who was or became a doubter of God. Should we not be wary of those characteristics? Got to be careful. You ready for number five? Should we just stop? (laughs) (laughs) They tended to be critical of others. Judge their motives without talking to them. Blame others for their own problems, dilemmas and shortcomings. Justify their own actions to those not involved. And fifth. Recruit allies. They tend to recruit allies. You can go back into the story of Absalom. He follows this same pattern. Does he not, in the end, recruit allies against his father? Does Saul not recruit allies against God? Jeroboam, does he not recruit allies against God? Time after time. Person after person. Situation after situation. There it is. If we are in faith with the things of God. We are not doubting or fearful. If we are in faith with the things of God. We are not doubting or fearful. Isn't that right? If we're in faith. I'm not doubting. I'm not fearful. Remember when Jesus exhorted the, the uh, Nigerians to? When the bad news came. Do not Fear. Don't fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Turn over to 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear is the opposite of faith and its cure is love. This is what the New Testament teaches us. That the cure for the enemy of faith is love. That's the cure. If you have fear, that's the enemy to faith. Tears faith down. Don't fear. Don't don't fear. Come on, stay with me. Fear is the enemy of faith and the cure for it is what? Love. Is not the walk of love not being critical of others? Judging their motives without talking to them? Blaming others for my own problems, dilemmas and shortcomings? Justifying their own actions to those not involved? And is Love, walking around recruiting allies for my cause. If we walk in love, does it not stand to reason that all these five characteristics are gone? There is no fear in love. This is the God kind of love. We're talking about the God kind of faith. There is no fear in the God kind of love. No fear. It's gone. So if I bring in the critical attitude, if I bring in the... Judging of motives, if I bring in the blaming of others, if I bring in the justifying, if I bring in the recruiting, I am going against the love of God, which opens the door to. Fear, which is the enemy of which it causes me to become a doubter. Can you see the pattern? We only took seven stories out of the word of God referred to two other ones. We only took seven again. We only have an hour. They're telling me I'm running out of time in the back. Well, they just give me a warning so we, we know. You all would stay around, I'm sure. So let me know what we're filling up. Those tendencies are not those of one walking in love. Now, if you go over to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, or, well, of course, verse 22, have the faith of God. Right? For if you say that this mountain be removed, be cast to the sea, and do, not, do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things you say will come to pass. You will have whatever you say, right? And then he goes on in verse twenty-five and twenty-six, and he teaches about prayer. And if you stand praying, which is different from saying, right? Paul twenty-five, and whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, recruit allies, <laughs> blame others. Justify your own actions. Judge their motives. Does it say that? What's it say? Forgive. Is that not consistent with the love of God? And whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Go to 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Is it by coincidence that Jesus teaches on walking in love when He talks about moving mountains, when He talks about being in faith and not doubting. (laughs) Jesus doesn't do anything by coincidence, does He? The tendency of being critical of others, judging their motives without talking to them, blaming others for for my own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings, justifying my own actions to those not involved and recruiting allies for my cause is all against walking in love and will pull me into the realm of doubt. Keep me in a place where I'm defeated. Glory to God. I just looked at the time. we got all day. <laughs> <laughs> Can you take any more? You okay? You done? Too much? <laughs> the end of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 11, verse 20 26, is on forgiveness. And it's for a reason. It is for a reason. I heard somebody say that with a hard-hearted listener, words don't work. Only actions carry any weight with them. To break down the hard heart, kindness, and not sermons are the thing needed. Now here's a quote. Again, I couldn't... Then i to put this in your outline. Couldn't put it in there. St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary... Use words. (laughs) Isn't that good? Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can win them hard-hearted people over with with actions. But not always. There are some hard-hearted people. They just won't be won over with actions. They're going to stay in that direction. But if you stay in that that place. Now, again, I wanted to review these things with you. This is the reason I put these things in here. This is what we went over in the in the beginning. The common components of those stories we looked at: number one, hard-hearted; number two, resistance to the truth of the word; three, denial of the facts, faults, and weaknesses in themselves; and four, doubting God's power and promise. Do you not see that in these characteristics? Are those are those components not in all these characteristics we just brought out? Who has who has has a bulletin handy? I should have copied this right in there. We were listening, my wife and I were listening to a, to a teaching and somebody made reference to uh, Brother Hagan, something that he had said. I'll read it right out of the bulletin here. If the devil can keep you in the arena of reason, he can defeat you every time. If you keep him in the arena of faith, you will defeat him every time. When you get pulled into the place of criticism, into the, into the place of these, these things we listed out here. If you get pulled into that, you are being pulled in to the realm of reason. And the devil knows he can defeat you there. But if you stay in forgiveness and resist being critical, be, resist judging people's motives without talking to them, resist all, all of these things, blaming others, justifying myself, recruiting allies. If I resist all those things, if I don't go in there. I don't get into the realm of reason and therefore, I can stay in the realm of faith and then I can be the victor. I'm so glad we listened to that this week because I had forgotten that he even said that. <laughs> it's good for me just to remember it and have that uh, that go on. So I put it in your bulletin so that you would have it. And that you would you would have it there. So, those who tend to, here, I just summarize here in, in real quick verse, real quick words. Those who tend to criticize, judge, incriminate, self-justify, and recruit. I'll give you those again. Those who tend to criticize, judge, incriminate, self-justify, and recruit. Also, Tend to be doubters of the things of God. Now you think about people that you know. Not, you know No one in church. You know, heathens. <laughs> heathens who doubt the things of God. Is it not easy to see these characteristics in them? Is it not easy to see that they, are, they criticize? That they judge? That they incriminate? That they self-justify? And that they recruit? Is that not a pattern that they follow? And and a long time ago, when you used to be in another church in another part of the country, (laughs) didn't you meet people who did the same thing? Surely no one in church criticizes anyone anymore. But a long time ago, it used to happen. People used to criticize. People used to judge motives without talking to people. People used to incriminate. Self-justify. And recruit. But these people in the word of God tend to be doubters of the things of God. If we are going to absorb all the teaching that we can to become faith people, to believe that our mountain will be cast into the sea. If we're going to be people that want to meditate on Mark chapter 11 and, and learn how I can say that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in those things he says will come to pass. He will have the things that he says. If I want to meditate on that, if I want to get feeding on that, if I want to read books on it, if I want to hear preachers on this, if I want to meditate and and absorb all this and become one who is one who victors over mountains, who casts mountains into seas, if I want to become that, but I am critical, if I judge people's motives without talking to them, if I incriminate, self-justify and recruit, if I do these things, Am I not fighting against myself? I'm saying that I want to go this way. But what happens? Ah. <laughs> oh, can we under, can we see it? Do you see it it's, that it's in these folks that were, that were there that they criticize, they judge, they incriminate, they self-justify and they recruit. If I want to become one who does not doubt the word God of God, but doubts the things of the world. If I want to become that kind of person, if I want to do those kind of things, if I want to have victory over sickness and disease in my life, if I want to have victory over finances, if I want to have victory over whatever mountains are in my way, then I need to be be careful about this, don't I? Listen to your words this week. Are you critical? Are you judging people's, not not actions, again, judge their actions, that's fine, but talk to them about it. But are you judging their motive? Have you decided why they did that thing? And you've never talked to them? It's really easy for us to do that with people we don't know, isn't it? I'm never going to know, I'm never going to see them, I just, well, they probably did that because they didn't like me. But you see, you're practicing. Don't practice. You're getting yourself into, into having these tendencies. You don't need to do that. Don't be, don't criticize, don't judge, don't incriminate, don't self-justify, and don't recruit because these people tend to be doubters of the things of God. Don't be hard-hearted. How many of you want to have a soft heart to the things of God? A person who has a soft heart to the things of God follows more the pattern of Jonathan, of Moses in the latter years. Of David, most of the time. Of Peter, after Jesus Christ arose. Of Paul, after his born-again experience. Of John, when he was called the disciple of love. And with these people, do you see one who's critical? Judging of motives without talking to people? Paul all the time talked about it. This one did that. I went over and I took care of it. I went over and I talked with him. Now their their motives are wrong. I've talked to them. Their motives are wrong, and they don't want to change. Beware of this person. These are the examples we ought to be looking at. Is it does it not stand to reason, folks, that if the Pauls, the Peters, the Johns, the Jesuses, the Joshuas, the Caleb's, the Moseses, Abrahams, all these people, who went in the way of not becoming a doubter of the things of God, also did not go the way of being a critic of people. Did not go the way of judging their motives. Did not go the way of incriminating. Blaming others. For things that are my fault. Is it not true that these people took to the blame themselves? Alright, if anyone's blaming, it's me. It's me. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm taking that blame there. I, I, I need to do better. I need to, and they, they get themselves better and they, they do it better. They don't blame everybody else. One time we heard Moses say, this, these people that you gave me, God. Mm. <laughs> but the rest of the time, what's he say? All right, come on, we got to get, we, we got to help them out. Oh, God, don't, no, come on, look at them. Look at them, God, God you know you love them. <laughs> come on. They're the people we need to look at. There is a reason why the people that are victorious in the things of God and the people who are defeated in the things of God have opposite characteristics and these seven things stand out. There's a reason for it. Study it on your own. Take some time yourself and go on through the Word of God. Go find, your other, find some other story. Go through and even look at these. Read the rest of the Scriptures. Look at these people. Look, God put them here for us to learn some things from and to understand what He had to say. You may say, you know, Pastor, I think you were full soup when you woke up this morning. You didn't get anything from God. Well, then that's for you to take. I only told it to you because I knew that this could be tough. But you know, it was I don't get all that much sleep on a Saturday night anyway. And to, to lose an hour and a half of it, it <laughs> wasn't, wasn't a fun thing. But you know what? I'm wide awake. I'm good. <laughs> Glory to God. I want you to know, God wants to speak to us on this thing. There is something here He wants us to get. There are some characteristics on these things. Study them and know them. And if you see them in your life, get them out. Get them out. One more example for you. How many times have you called up the place where you get your car fixed? And how many times have you over the phone described the characteristics of your problem? How many times have you made the the noises this way? It comes from here. How many times have we done that? And we fully expect that our mechanic over the phone can tell us what we're up against when we describe the problem to them. Don't we? (laughs) What do you think it is? (laughs) Well, I really need to see it. Yeah, but all right, but I'll I'll bring it. What do you think it is? Because we fully expect that the problem we we have has certain characteristics that our mechanic has seen before and can probably tell us. And how many times has your mechanic told you, I think it's probably this. I'll have to look at it. but I think it's probably this. We expect that of our car mechanics. But is not the Holy Spirit able to do the same thing with our life? Mm -hmm. If you exemplify the tendencies of being critical and you go in to judge their motives without talking to them and you begin to blame other people for your own faults, shortcomings and problems and you begin to self-justify yourself amongst all the people that are around you and then begin to recruit them to be on your side you're following in a path of those that have gone before who are doubters doubters of the things of god now here's the characteristics of those who didn't follow that way they didn't criticize They believed the best in others. They walked in the way of love. And Jesus even taught when he taught this principle, you need to be in love. You need to walk in forgiveness. You need to not be bitter. You think it's important? Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. That you have laid out for us examples of people who have gone on before us people who had walked away of faith and then fell off. And we can look at one after the other after the other. We can look at their characteristics. We can see how they got off. And we can prevent it from ourselves. We look at how Adam and Eve begin to criticize the plan of God. And judge the motive of God He was keeping something from them. Look at how Saul blamed all the people around him for his own shortcomings. Look at how he recruited those around, justifying his own actions. Father, we don't don't want to follow in their path, in their footsteps. We want to follow the way of God. Help us, Father, to recognize these things in ourselves, to change them, to get rid of them, To realize that with all fervency we must root these things out of our life because their presence in us will cause us to go the way of a doubter, a doubter of the things of God. But if we rid ourselves of these things and follow after the principles of love, we will find ourselves a doubter of the things of the world, the things of this world, and a believer. In the things of God. Thank you for the help that you give us. You are a glorious God. Who gives us all the help that we need. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.